Freedom is very valued. See, I am Cleopas. I'm a Jew from Jerusalem. And I want to tell you how I found true freedom. But to understand how I found true freedom, you have to understand my people and their history. You see, we celebrate freedom a little bit differently than you. There are no fireworks, no explosions in the air. There are no potlucks. There are no parties. There are no big gatherings. But instead, our family. And we always eat the same thing. We eat roasted lamb. We eat bitter herbs and unleavened bread. Bread without yeast. But I get ahead of myself. It it, it all starts about 4,000 years ago. My people, the Jews, were slaves in Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They'd been oppressed. And they cried out to God for deliverance. They cried out for a deliverer. And God heard. And He answered their prayers. And He sent a great prophet named Moses. And Moses came, and he came to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who was oppressing my people. And he did what God told him to do, and he said, let my people go. And do you know what Pharaoh said? Do you know what Pharaoh said? He said, no. That's right. He said, no. And so God said to Moses, we're going to convince Pharaoh to let my people go. But we're not only going to convince Pharaoh to let him go, we're going to show him that I, Yahweh God, am greater than all of the gods of Egypt. And so he sent ten plagues. Ten plagues to the Egyptians to show them this. He turned the, the river, the Nile River, into blood. He sent a plague of gnats, flies, Locusts, frogs, darkness, boils, big, blistery sores. He sent hail. He killed off the livestock. But it was the tenth plague. The tenth and final plague that changed the course of history. That changed things forever. See, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh... That God was going to go through Egypt and God was going to kill every firstborn male in every house. It was a terrible, terrible plague, a devastating plague, a horrible plague. But God provided a way to spare my people. God told the Israelites, the Hebrews, to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb that didn't have anything wrong with it. And to sacrifice this lamb. And God said to take the blood of this lamb and to smear it on the doorpost, on the sides, and on the top of their houses. And when the angel of death would come, the blood would be a sign to spare the Hebrews. And sure enough, that's what happened. God told the Israelites to eat a meal first, though. God told him to roast the lamb that they sacrificed and to eat it all. And to eat it with bitter herbs and bread without yeast. And they weren't just to sit down and eat it. They were to sit down and eat it fast. They were supposed to be dressed and ready to go with sandals on their feet and staff in their hand and bags packed ready to go. A meal of faith 
if you will. And that's what they did. And that night, there was great wailing and great weeping in Egypt as mothers and fathers discovered their firstborn male sons and the firstborn male of even their livestock were dead. It must have been a horrible, haunting sound. To hear their crying, to hear their wailing, and it broke them. It broke Pharaoh. And Pharaoh told Moses to go. Go, take, take your people with you. Just go. And the Egyptians came out and, and gave the Israelites items of gold and silver. And that night, the Hebrews, who had been slaves just hours before, walked out of Egypt. And they were free. And God told Moses, don't ever forget what just happened. And in order not to forget, we're going to do this every year where we set up a Passover celebration and we eat roasted lamb and bitter herbs and unleavened bread so that we remember freedom that came by the blood of a lamb. Blood put on a doorpost. Blood that marked Israel as God's special people. Well, us Hebrews, we are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. It was only a matter of days. Only a matter of days before, after leaving Egypt, that we, we started doubting God. That unbelief crept into our traveling camp. That there was grumbling and there was man, all kinds of complaining. And the complaining grew worse. And Moses, he tried to lead my people. And he tried to show them God would provide. He even brought water from a rock. He parted the Red Sea. But it wasn't enough to, to stave off the unbelief. And so, God punished the Hebrews. And instead of leading them right to the promised land, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And because of their unbelief, Everyone who was an adult over the age of 20 when they left Egypt died during that 40 years except for two. But you know it didn't change once they got to the promised land. You know, God led them into the promised land in the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's full of, of riches, of vineyards that they didn't plant, of, of fields that were, were ripe for the harvesting. But they still wouldn't listen to God. They didn't drive out the Canaanites. Like they said, instead they said, they, 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 they said, oh, we're going to follow your God too. And so instead of following God with their whole heart, when they got to the promised land, when they got this free, beautiful, rich land, instead of thanking God, they deserted Him and went after the Canaanite gods. And pretty soon... They lost their freedom again. Oppressors came in from neighboring nations. Oppressors came in from nations that they should have, have wiped out already, that they should have, have already dealt with. And they took away their freedom. And once again, the Israelites cried out. And they cried out for a deliverer. They cried out for a Savior. And God, in His mercy, would send judges to deliver Him. Like Ehud, and Samson, and Gideon, and Deborah. But they just kept repeating the pattern. 
they just kept, they'd follow God for a little while and then they wouldn't. They'd spurn His grace and mercy and they'd start following other gods and then an oppressor would come in again. The Midianites or or somebody. They, They couldn't seem to stay faithful. And then during the last judge, Samuel's time, my people rejected God altogether. They said, you know what? Things aren't good enough for us in this promised land. They said, you know... We want to be like other nations. They're not led by their God. They're led by a king. And so we want a king. And so God in His mercy gave them a king. He raised up a man named Saul. But Saul soon rejected God as well. He soon went his own way and did his own thing. And did things he wasn't supposed to like offer sacrifices that only a priest could offer. And so God rejected him. And then, God raised up a king that he called a man after his own heart. King David. And things were fabulous. David was a conqueror. David wiped out the Philistines. David led the army. And there was peace. And there was freedom. In David's time. And David wasn't just a soldier and a a mighty warrior and a mighty general. David was a songwriter. Maybe you've heard some of his songs. One of them, probably his most popular one, goes a lot like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will stalk me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David, before he was a king, was a shepherd. And he knew that God is our shepherd. He knew that true freedom was found in following God. And David wasn't perfect at it. He had his mess-ups. But he repented. And he accepted God's grace. And he moved on and he loved God more. And so God made a promise to David. And he said, as long as Israel is following me, you will have a descendant on the throne forever. That was a great promise because that meant that meant lasting freedom. That meant peace. That meant security. And so after David after David passed away, then came Solomon. Man, things kept going well. And David had wanted to build God a temple, but God said no because he was a man of war. But Solomon, Solomon got to build the temple. And Solomon was wise. Wiser than anyone during his time. And he was rich. During the time of of Solomon, silver was just real common. Not worth much at all in Israel because there was so much of it. So you can imagine the glory of the temple that Solomon was able to build. And Solomon worshipped God and and dedicated this temple to God in, in an amazing ceremony. But soon, 
Solomon's heart was divided. See, Solomon had many wives, and some of the wives he took didn't love Yahweh God. Some of the wives he took followed other gods, and soon Solomon was sacrificing at other idols, or two other idols, at other altars. Soon his heart was divided, and the people's heart was divided. And after Solomon, it got even worse. After Solomon's reign, God literally ripped Israel in two. The kingdom was taken away as, as one whole and divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Israel, Israel never followed God after that. They were a series of one bad king after another, leading the people into all kinds of evil and horrible things in the names of following other gods. Child sacrifice. Uh, horrible, horrible Canaanite rituals. It was terrible. And God, in His mercy, kept crying out to, to Israel. He sent them Elijah and Elisha, two of the greatest prophets, who warned them, who performed all kinds of miracles, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They just kept following after other gods. And pretty soon, the, the kings weren't divided over following God and other religions. Pretty soon, they were just following other religions. And God said, that's enough. He said, my, my patience has run out. I've had enough. And God sent a cruel people, the Assyrians. And they took away Israel's freedom. And they led them away as slaves. They led them away to Assyria. Israel's history isn't quite as bad, or Judah's history isn't quite as bad. They, they followed God some, and then didn't follow God some. And they had some good kings like Josiah and Joash and Hezekiah who led some revival. But they too were divided. And they too followed after other gods rather than staying faithful. And they too lost their freedom. They too were taken captive, this time by the Babylonians. And they were sent off to Babylonia, and Jerusalem was destroyed. The city of David was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. You know, there were prophets who went along who warned them and told them why they were in captivity and told them they were going to be there a while. Jeremiah told them, said, hey, you might as well settle in. God's not bringing us out of this right away. Settle in, work, bless the city of your captivity. And so that's what some did, like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They worked hard. They even became leaders in Babylon. Some false prophets said, oh no, God's, God's taking us home. He's getting us out of it. That, that wasn't the case. Generations and generations passed in captivity until one day, a guy named Nehemiah and a guy named Ezra convinced some foreign kings to let them come back and rebuild Jerusalem's walls and rebuild the temple. And a remnant was able to come home. But there was silence from God. 450 years, there was just nothing. No prophets to give them hope. No one giving any, anything new about the, the, the freedom that God wanted for them. You know, there were, were days where the prophets had talked about a Messiah coming. 
a Messiah who would deliver them. And there was a lot of debate about what that meant. But time passed and this, this struggling, re- rebuild community of Jerusalem, they, they couldn't keep their freedom. They, they just kind of passed from kingdom to kingdom. And eventually, they ended, under, ended up under the, the authority of Roman rule. Rome owned them. And Rome allowed them to, to, to be Jews and, and, and do what they'd always done, but they were limited. Rome had their leash on them. And so a lot of my brothers thought that this Messiah was going to come and deliver them from Roman rule. That this conquering Jewish general was going to show up on a white horse and wipe out the Romans and all of us Jews would have thrones and we would rule and we would be kings and they would know it. More and more, the talk of the Messiah centered on that. And you know, I, I started to believe that myself. I started to think that, that this, this Messiah might, might be political. Might, I, I really didn't know. That's really all that was taught. But then one day, this wild and crazy man shows up in the, the, the deserts of Judea. He's wearing camel's hair clothes. and He's got long hair and he eats locusts and honey. And he preaches that the kingdom of God is near. And he called for repentance. And he baptized people in the Jordan River. And soon after that, another man showed up, a rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth. And and the wild guy, his name was John the Baptist, he said, this is the Lamb of God. That made me pay attention. So I started to listen. And this Jesus of Nazareth preached that the kingdom of God was indeed at hand. And he preached that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we should also love our neighbor as ourselves. And he didn't talk a lot about freedom, though. He did say once that, that the truth will set us free. And that if the Son, and he called himself the Son of Man and the Son of God at times, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. It didn't sound like a political message. It didn't sound like he was going to conquer the Romans. As a matter of fact, I think he said it to some Romans. He, he said it to everyone. He didn't care who he talked to. He talked to the down and out. He talked to the poor. He talked to blind beggars. He talked to women of ill repute. He told his disciples to let kids come up and talk to him. Come sit on his lap and hang out with him. That was unlike any other rabbi there was. He talked to lepers. And he touched them. Hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. He wasn't bothered by someone who had a reputation. You could even say he was drawn to them. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin people, the scribes, teachers of law, all those guys, they didn't like it. There were a couple that that were listening and were okay with it. Most of them didn't like it. They would ask him questions and try to trap him. And they wanted to get him in trouble with Rome. And so they would ask him stuff like, what do you do about taxes? Jesus just said, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. They didn't really like that answer. Jesus even went farther. At one point he said, if a Roman soldier forces you to carry his bag one mile, which is allowable under the Roman law, it's part of being an oppressed people, 
Jesus said, don't stop at one mile, go two miles. The leaders didn't know what to do with that. The Romans were our enemies. Why would Jesus want us to be nice to them? And you know what? Jesus really ticked them off when he didn't follow all their traditions. He healed people on the Sabbath, and that really rubbed them wrong. Once his disciples were picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath, and whew, man, the Pharisees were besides themselves. But Jesus grew in popularity with the people. The people loved him. The people wanted to hear more. They wanted to see more. He did miracles. This one time, he, he even raised the guy from the dead who had been in the tomb four days. It was, it was crazy. He just walked up to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And out comes this mummy-looking guy. Just walked right out. Pharisees didn't like that so much. They, they wanted to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. As a matter of fact, more and more, Jesus, Jesus talked about how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. No one really listened because I guess we were too busy thinking about how he was going to be the Messiah and, and, and take things over. I don't know. One time, Peter even pulled Jesus aside and told him to stop talking about it. Jesus put Peter in his place. He said, I have to. But then one year, it was Passover week, and things changed. There were so many highs and lows of that week. You know, I always loved Passover. As a child, I remember Dad telling me the story of coming into Jerusalem, or, or I'm sorry, coming out of Egypt. And I loved it. And so when I, when I became a father, I told my own children, as we celebrated the Passover year after year, something about the Passover just really stuck with me. So it's Passover week, and we're in Jerusalem, and Jesus enters Jerusalem like a king. I stirred up the people. People are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, Messiah, essentially. They're, they're putting their cloaks on the road. They're waving palm branches, and he's not telling them to stop. He just rides on in, and our hopes are soaring. We can't believe what we're seeing. After following Jesus for, for three years and seeing him teach and do miracles, and we know there's something special about this rabbi. He's different. And now he's entering Jerusalem as a king. And what does he do when he gets in there? He clears out the temple. Gets rid of the money changers. said, you've made this house of prayer a den of thieves. And then he spent his days teaching in the temple courts. And the crowd swelled. But the Jewish leaders were there too. Talking quietly amongst themselves. And they weren't smiling. Something was up. Something was going on. Jesus had arranged to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples in an upper room. So they went up in the upper room and, and as they're celebrating the meal, as, as they're, they're, they're having it, Jesus said some strange things. He told them this would be the last time that he celebrated this until his kingdom was anew. 
And he also told them that somebody there was going to betray him. Well, this obviously caused quite a stir. Several of the disciples asked, is it me, is it me, is it me? Well, after they finished the meal, they, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and Jesus was obviously in emotional anguish, unlike the disciples had ever seen him. He's crying out to God. And pretty soon, Judas led a bunch of guards right to Jesus, and Jesus was arrested. That night, Jesus was put through trial after trial. In the middle of the night, witnesses came forth and lied. But by the next morning, at 9 a.m., Jesus was condemned to die. Just like that. Justice was a joke. He'd been beaten, he'd been mocked, he'd been spit on. Now he's flogged, and now a cross was put on his back, and he was told to walk up a hill where he was crucified. By noon, he's hanging on the cross. My wife Mary was there with Jesus' mother. I don't even know what you'd call it. Comforting, consoling is not the right word. She was just present. I mean, what can you tell a mother who is watching their son hang on a cross? can't say anything. She just cried. They both just cried. And even on the cross, Jesus seemed to be concerned about others and offer freedom. Some thief next to him, he told him he would be together with him in paradise. He prayed for the guards as they gambled for his clothes. And all the while, the people walking by are hurling insults at him, telling him that he could heal others. Why can't he come down off that cross? And then he uttered the words, it is finished. And he was gone. I cannot tell you the crushing despair that I felt. All my hopes, all that I thought Jesus was, was just gone. Buried in a tomb. It was the worst Sabbath I'd ever been a part of. My family just moped. We cried out to God for a deliverer who we thought we had. We didn't say a lot. A lot of, I, I just don't understand. We just, it's horrible. It's the longest, longest Sabbath I've ever experienced. Sunday came and me and another follower were supposed to go to Emmaus, and so we, we headed that way. But before we left, we'd heard some disturbing news. Jesus' body was gone. He wasn't in the tomb. Some women had, had gone, and, and he wasn't there. And so we're, we're talking about this, and we're just heartbroken. Just, it's all I could do not to just break down and cry on the road. And then next to me just kind of appeared this guy. And he asked what was going on. And I looked at him and I was like, are you serious? 
have, have you not been around to hear what's happened to Jesus of Nazareth? He's, the, he's this man who was a, a great prophet in word and deed, and they, they crucified him. And this stranger said something to me that I will never forget. He called me foolish and said I didn't believe. I wanted to punch him. And then, starting with Moses and the Passover meal and the Passover lamb, he explained to me how the Messiah had to suffer and die before he went to glory. Went through Israel's history. Some of what I've told you here today went through the prophets. And he explained that the Messiah wasn't a conquering hero in the sense of a war hero. But that he came to conquer hearts. That he came to be our Passover lamb. And my heart burned inside of me. When we got to where we were going, he he went to walk on and we begged him to come eat with us. And so he, he decided he would stay and we sat down to eat and he broke bread and prayed. And I couldn't believe what I saw. My eyes were open and it wasn't a stranger at all. It was Jesus. He was alive and he was sitting right there. And then he disappeared. But it all made sense. Suddenly, it all tied together. This Passover lamb that, that had meant so much to me as a kid, suddenly I realized it was, it was a, a picture of the freedom God intends for us. Suddenly I realized that the Messiah was the Passover lamb. And that He brought to bring us freedom. Not freedom from oppression and tyranny as a country, but freedom from oppression of our hearts, from sin, from slavery, to destructive things. Freedom from my anger. Freedom from my lust. Freedom from my pride. From my cruelty. From my unkindness. Freedom. That the blood of this lamb was slain to be applied to the doorposts of my heart. So that I would not be killed in the final plague. So that I would not face eternal death, but instead would be offered eternal life. And I realized that as Jesus hung on the cross, it was the very time when all the Passover lambs were to be killed. But now, He was alive. He conquered Sin, and he conquered death. He was the Messiah. And it changed me forever. This, this Lamb of God became our Redeemer. He paid the price of hell for us. He He gave His perfect life for us.
That's what freedom is. Our hearts are free if His blood is applied to us. We're free from the condemnation of God's law. We're free to walk as sons and daughters of the King. I think that's worth singing about. I think that's worth singing about the Redeemer. Would you join me? And would you sing? And would you sing like it's like it's real? Don't sing to sound good. Sing to sound grateful. Sing to sound free. Don't sing so that the person next to you, or, or worry about the person next to you, what they're going to think. Sing to say thank you to the Lamb. Stand.